You guys get to watch the sausage getting made. That's what this is. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's very lonely. No one calls him. Nobody calls him. If they do call, you can answer it. Yeah. You can speak for Andrew Grimm. Everyone, everyone can speak for me. Nice job on the table. Uh, yeah, I pulled it up from the basement. Pretty sweet. Okay, are we ready? We're ready. All right, Should we press record? And it's already recording. Oh, great. I can edit that later. <laughs> See, right now I'll have a piece of music going over. Okay, so if you guys can imagine, there's a, a cool song called... Uh, you're Gonna Lose. You're Gonna Lose by, written by Andrew Grimm that plays at the beginning of the Why Aren't You Famous. So, I'll start. Welcome to Why Aren't You Famous podcast live taping March 25th at the 4-Hour Day Luthery. We're here with a lovely, beautiful, intelligent-looking audience, right? Say hello! <laughs> Couldn't you just say that they, they are intelligent? They are intelligent. Not I meant intelligent-looking? Why don't you talk for a while since, oh. you're, since you're so smart? I'm not. No, you, you go ahead. You're in the center. You go ahead. You're the center of attention on that. So go ahead. So um, you're here with your hosts, me, Ellen Cherry. And me, Andrew Grimm. And our friend that we brought in from Columbus, Ohio to help me move a couch tonight, Matt Monta. Hi, everybody. <laughs> he's, he, he's, he's not really allowed to talk. Uh, he's just here to move the couch, which is pretty sweet. So we And, and um, get tagged in the Facebook event. <laughs> yes, 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 that's right. So we just finished um, 15 Days on the Road, Andrew Grimm and I did. We saw Matt in Cleveland at the very beginning of the tour, yep. and we're finishing up the tour today. Um, it's for our podcast, which you're listening to right now, called Why Aren't You Famous? This is a phrase that Andrew Grimm and I have heard at least twice. At least twice. Over the That's last right. 22 years of working as a musician, people say, I don't understand. Why aren't you on television? Why aren't you this? Why aren't you this? And so in an effort to... Think about it for 24 episodes. We wrote these podcasts and have been recording them. And then in an effort to prove it, we went out on the road. That's right. <laughs> we, are, we are not famous in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Not, that, not by a long shot. That's definitely the most not famous that I've ever felt. Yeah. And the most ignored that I've ever felt is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, I don't think forever. Like, is there, is there a gig? And this is how our podcast usually goes because we then start thinking about things and then we ask each other questions about them. <laughs> Um, is there a gig that you've played or a show? Because there, there's a difference between gigs and shows, but is there a show that you've played? Like, gigs don't matter. I mean, gigs are like, you know, uh, when you play a gig, you're getting a guarantee, and, you know, it's not all on you to bring an audience. There's usually a built-in audience or something like that, so you might play for three hours and be ignored by, by 150 people. But a show is something that we're, you know, you have a 45-minute set, you practice, you showcase it, you create a set list, and then you actually try. Um, <laughs> so all of our all of our uh, tour dates were shows. I don't think any of them were gigs. Yeah. Um, so which was cool. But is there a show that you played that you felt like you were definitely ignored more than the one in Tulsa? And and to be fair with Tulsa, uh, Chris Blevins who. He's amazing. The show. He's First incredible. Of all, Chris Blevins, and we will tag him at, when this gets posted as well. He's yep. an incredible musician, and yep. and he's going over to Europe right now. I think he's on his way over there. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. But um, but Tulsa was was pretty challenging. But was there? A sh- you said ever. So my question is: Is there is there a show where you were more ignored <coughs> than Tulsa? <laughs> Let me scale back through twenty plus years of gigs here. Um, just. <laughs> take a break I felt pretty ignored recently but I don't want to say Ooh. what it was at because 
Baltimore's a small town. It is a small town. <laughs> the statute of limitations on bad gigs is like five years, right? Okay, so in five years, I'll be able to tell you about one that happened very recently. Yeah. Actually, in between the last time I saw you. Wow. Because all the, the other bands have to break up. Meeting, but the last time I saw you from... <laughs> from the tour. From tour, yeah. Okay. I definitely felt super ignored at okay. a show. Yeah. Oh. yeah. It's happened. What about you, Matt? What about me? Um, well, the... When's the most ignored that you felt? Like at a like at a show? Yeah, with performance, not personally. Because I know... I think one time I did... I got asked to do like a... Uh, they had like a, the, the Blues Alliance in Columbus, Ohio was doing a thing to like send a couple blues bands to the Memphis Blues Challenge. And that's the thing about the blues is you have to say the blues over and over and over again whenever you're talking about the blues. Well, the, the, the guy who was booking it, um, this was when I was probably about 10 years ago, and he really liked what I was doing. And he said, do you want to just open these shows as a solo acoustic act? And I thought, yeah, that sounds great. Um, not really, you know, giving a whole lot of thought about what I was, you know, what I was getting into. Uh, you know, he just said, do your thing. I said, do you want something special? Just, just do your thing. And I got up and played and it was like, it went over like a lead balloon. And at one point, like after two or three songs, some guy goes, this ain't the blues. <laughs> and I was like... I was like, all, all right, well, and I and I just I finished my set, and then the host got up there. He's like, "What do you mean this ain't the blues? Like the Rolling Stones played the blues, you know?" He went through this whole thing, kind of like shut the heckler down. But I, I would say, off the top of my head, that was probably one of the times where I I really felt like, "What's the point?" Mm. And ten years later, here I am, right. still doing what, it. What's the point? Yeah, <laughs> still trying to figure it out. Yeah, maybe that would have been one of the gigs where you wanted to be ignored. So then, because you know, then a guy wouldn't have yelled. He's on the blues. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess the silver lining is that he was actually listening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did think of one. Okay. Man, 15 years ago, maybe longer, because I, th- I don't know if I was living in um, Baltimore then, but I got a gig playing, I got a gig um, volunteering at a model and talent search thing, cattle call, for like... 3,000 people in Dallas, Texas, and they were like, we, you'll volunteer for this weekend and shepherd like wannabe models around and actors to these auditions, and then you get to like play on stage for like one of the finale things. So it was like a runway, and it was completely dark. You couldn't see anyone in there, and I just stood out there, and a, they, I was the only person playing guitar. Everyone else was doing like catwalk and, you know, like, what, what is that called? What is that called when you do that with your lips? The duck face? Duck face, you know, and like, you know, super amazing people that look like great clothes hangers, coat hanger people. Like, you know, they look good in clothes. Um, models. Yes, models, <laughs> yes. That's the word I was struggling with. That esoteric word. Th- and I was there with my guitar, like, and there was a spotlight, and I just played the song, and or I played two songs, and I think that they were deeply introspective. And, I mean, previously up until me playing, like, my... Plinka, plinka. It had been like, unt, 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 you know, and just very like techno music and people walking down the, the gang plank, plank, what is it called? Catwalk. Catwalk, yes. <laughs> and so, there, there was so, no applause. So, like, I, yeah, they, they weren't ready for the, uh, the proto feminist <laughs> introspective musings of, uh, yeah. So this was, this was, viewers, a, this was a long time ago. Yeah, but I remember thinking like, I played, I couldn't hear anything. It was complete silence and darkness out there. I felt really like I had been thrust into outer space. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. it was cold. It was cold, man. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's probably one of the biggest I- being ignored. 
Yeah, that sounds terrible. That's fine. I'm yeah. used to it. We played a show in 90... This is back when I was in uh, the band Factory Horse. We played 4th of July at the, the Freedom Fire Hall, whatever, in Sykesville. Um, and it was 4th of July, so it was like, oh, there's going to be tons of people there. There's going to be like rides and all this other stuff. And we got this really cool spot in the lineup. And it's like, ah, oh, great. And nobody showed. Um, some of the carnies didn't even show. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. So it was free rides on the Scrambler all day. Ooh, my first tour. Ooh, I just remembered a gig that was terrible on my first tour. <laughs> okay, so I went on tour for the first time in 1998 with my bandmates, Ben, Kate, and Ryan. And um, we played like 75 dates over four months in the summer of 98 in this black van with no air conditioning. We drove from New Orleans to Rhode Island and back. This was before internet. You had to like book everything by mail. It took us months to book this tour. Oh, the dark ages. And our first gig was in Wynn, Arkansas, playing Farm Fest. Whoa, Wynn. And the stage had been shipped from Little Rock the night before. You know in Arkansas. And the stage, Hootie and the Blowfish had played on that stage the on night before stage? in Little Rock. And so we were telling people, we were like, we're playing on the same stage as Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> and um, I met Greg Trooper oh, yeah. and Keith Sykes, who um, wrote a song with, um, he has a musical now. I can't really remember him. Uh, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Buffett. Oh. <laughs> a terrible, terrible musical now. Um, not that I've seen it. But... Um, anyway, so we were like at one o'clock in the afternoon at this gig <clears throat> on this huge stage, first gig of the tour, and there were like four um, older ladies sitting on a curb like 300 feet away, and those were the only people watching us. Wow. And I couldn't even tell if they were paying attention. Huh. So it was like pretty auspicious beginning to my career. Right on. <laughs> and here we are. I was like, wow. Once again, it's all full circle, It can it? only go up from here. <laughs> Still, yes. That's just, you know, got to throw that uh, that modifier on there. Um, well, now during our podcast, we usually have topics that we've thought about for about a week or two, and then we write essays and, uh, and then we share those essays. But this time, we didn't really have a topic. But I was, I, have you thought of a topic? Because I thought of a topic. Go ahead. Uh, I have not. Haha. So I thought about tour update and like economics and talking about that, but we talked about that the last one too. Well, but we can actually that'll that'll piggyback onto the topic I was thinking about because uh, we've talked about uh, art versus commerce. We've talked about um, you know the definition of fame. Um, we've talked about um, death question mark. Um, death. Um, so there's a lot of things that we talked about, but then the, the one thing that um, you were quoted in an article, we, we played a, a, a show in Waynesville, North Carolina, and there was a local press guy there who just happened to be there, which is cool. Um, and he wrote a nice little article about the show. Um, and then in that, he, he quoted Ellen Cherry several times. And Yeah, the article is mostly about me. It's mostly about her. <laughs> I'm okay with that, you know. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's terrible. Um, but the um, but the one thing that we that you've been talking about consistently on the tour is this idea of how um, it's it's important that we're doing this and it's important that we're meeting all these people and that not to say that we live in an echo chamber or that there's this bubble around us, but as you, as you travel out, you start to meet a lot of people who have similar ideas because when you're at home and you're looking at things online or you're listening to the radio you just think like all of america has gone crazy and there's no like you're the only one and then you're like no this is madness um but when you actually get on the road and you start playing shows and you're talking to people there's this kind of sense of of togetherness like there's people who are you know are intelligent and are you know are, are able to articulate uh their ideas and it made for a great conversation and meeting really nice people 
Um, and who are also doing things in their community which feel positive and progressive and right. Yeah. Like making an effort in their way. And, and a lot of that awesome. seemed to me to be, to be like, you know, part of a, part of a theme that kind of emerged in my head about what we were doing was, you know, it was almost, it felt like it was an outreach program of sorts, uh, not just to, to people, but to ourselves, because you can get trapped in, in this negative kind of cynical spiral that I, I, I at least I feel that we're, we're experiencing as a, as a, as a culture and as a nation. Um, and so that's one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting about how important it was that we went out on the road um, and, and met people. And if not to prove to, to other people that, you know, smart people exist or, you know, creative people exist. Caring and kind people but, exist. But that we yeah. actually, we ourselves exist in some sort of way. Because, I mean, I could keep playing Bertha's every third Saturday. It doesn't mean that I exist anymore. <laughs> you know, no offense to Bertha's. I love you, Bertha's. But I'm just saying, you know, it gets routine. No, I agree. Like to expand the orbit a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that ends my topic. So. <laughs> good, good essay, Grim. No, well, that wasn't an essay. No, it was I good. I thought about this while I was washing my hair today. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, and I was I was thinking about our our favorite gigs, like because I, I set up a microphone for for question and answer a little bit later. If anybody wants to ask a question. Uh, of Matt Monta, uh, specifically <laughs> mathematics. Yeah, um, I'm. Real, I've still got a little bit of calculus knowledge. So ooh. if you want to run some uh, standard deviations and stuff by me, I can maybe work them out. Right. I can't give you the full proof, but I might be able to give you the answer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love having him here. Oh yeah. Um, so, uh, but um, can't wait to move that really couch. Serious. Like Matt right. is taking this very seriously because yeah. he called me yesterday. He was like, "Was I supposed to write an essay?" And I told Grim last night that when I relayed the story when we were moving, I was just like, oh, Matt called me and was worried about writing an essay. And what I should have done is said, yes, and they're longer. They're supposed to be 10 minutes. I could have written you a 1,500-word essay. And you were supposed to have mailed it to me by Friday. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, but I didn't want to do that to you because I know what it's like to be driving and crazy. And, 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 yeah, now we're behind schedule on our production. <laughs> well, it's... That's why I'm not famous, I guess. Because you're not on time with stuff. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm holding back production. But we'll we'll get back. Go to ahead. That. Yeah. Um, but I started thinking of that idea also, like the, our favorite gigs, and, and two of our favorite gigs were um, we played um, for a, a friend of ours has uh, his parents live uh, in, um, Illinois. in Illinois, yeah, and they both are suffering from dementia, and. He asked us if he arranged for us to, to, to go and, and play a, a, a set for them uh, in their living room. And as we were there playing, you know, it, it was definitely good for, for his parents. But I also, the, their caretakers were there. Their long-term caretakers were there. And then it seemed like the family members and some friends of the caretakers showed up as well. She called somebody after about five minutes of us playing because we were right. there for about an hour. And then she, one of the caretakers called her... I think it looked like her sister or somebody, mm-hmm. and then her sister and her niece came over, and yeah, we had a little impromptu house concert. Yeah, and it was really nice, but it was, and uh, there was that gig, and then the second one that we really liked was the Joe's Addiction gig, which is a, a coffee shop in uh, Oklahoma City, and it's run by um, people who are uh, rehabilitated from um, uh, ex-convicts and uh, people who might be suffering from drug addiction or mental health issues. 
Um, and it's it, like it's completely volunteer run by yeah. these people that are suffering from this in the community. This woman named jo- Jamie Zumwalt is a former pastor, and she decided that she wanted to, to do basically community missionary work. And it's so amazing because the part of town that this coffee shop is in is like a really, really run down sketchy part of Oklahoma City and it's actually in do you remember the name of it it's um Valley Brook Valley Brook so there's this one section of town and I don't think that anyone would mind me talking about it because it's fact it's a municipality inside of Oklahoma City and in this like 10 block radius the um there's they have their own laws about the strip clubs. so there's like six strip strip clubs in this block and the women who strip there can be 18 and elsewhere in the city they have to be 21 and there's full nudity allowed allowed at these strip clubs so a lot of the community come into this municipality to partake of the um dancers and so the cops will sit there and like tag people and that's how the municipality makes a lot of money too so it's a sort of a speed trap and also like if you are doing that and you may not want somebody else to know that you have been going and visiting a strip club you probably are just going to pay your ticket and not contest it you know um mm-hmm. there's also a lot of meth amphetamines still happening in oklahoma city which i had sort of forgotten because i feel like the opioid addiction has sort of taken over our consciousness and heroin and we forgot that behind before that especially in the midwest there was this massive methamphetamines addiction going on so it's still affecting people in this part of oklahoma city and jamie and her husband and other volunteers have set up this amazing coffee shop to allow convicts former convicts and people struggling with addiction to have a place to volunteer to give back and a place to go and be and hang out and talk to each other and feel like human beings and I want to make sure we mention that Jim Baker, who is one of our um, Why Aren't You Famous tour supporters, he sponsored that show. He said, I want you guys to go there on Tuesday and just play a show. I'll give you a couple hundred bucks to play um, and to meet these people. And, it, yeah, it ended up being, like, my favorite gig. Yeah. The guy that ran sound for us was a beneficiary of that um, program and doing really well. And it's just one of those things where you just start to see, like, that's what I mean about going out into commun- a different community than Baltimore where I'm sort of familiar with what's going on in, chal- in, in programs that challenge addiction and uh, mental health stigma. Mm-hmm. But to go to another place and just see it in action, was it was beautiful. It was such a great gig, and like everyone was crying at the end, which is exactly my goal. I want everyone to be crying at the end. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a clear and achievable goal. I know, I measurable. It, right? Mm-hmm. Every single one of you better be crying by the end yeah, right. of the night. <laughs> Um, and, Tears and, of joy. Well, that, and that brought me to the idea, like the the idea of caretaking, like as a theme. Like um, we did the tour fund. The a lot of the tour had to do with caretaking of, um, like the the GoFundMe tour or the GoFundMe um, campaign that we ran was about caretaking of ourselves while we were on tour to make sure that we had a place to stay and that we had, you know, we were able to to afford actual meals rather than. You know whatever was processed and prepackaged 15 years ago in a pilot, you know, off of you know 55. Uh, yes, McDonald's. Um, but um, so I started thinking about that, and I was like, you know, I mean that's about as far as I got in my thinking. That's why we write these essays beforehand. Um, but I was wondering, like, if you think about caretaking as music and art, like, how does that, how does that uh, become sustainable? Yeah. Like, like, how do we make that something that we accept rather than seeing it as a charity type of thing or I'm going to help this person because they're, you know, disenfranchised or they're impoverished? 
how about we just support them from the get-go and in, in, in another way? I'm not. Wait, are you talking about basic income? Yes. Yes. What a radical idea that is, and people should look it up because basic income is a really fascinating idea. I do think that it could actually affect a lot of change in our community. But I guess the person we should ask about that is, um, you've been doing this now full-time for a year, Matt Monta. That's correct. How are you feeling about the economics of it? Because yeah. that, I mean, it, I, I do want to talk about the economics of our tour um, and why we did the fundraising page, but as a newly, Grim and I have been doing this full-time for a long time. Um, and well, you know we haven't figured it out yet, well, so be, maybe to, to you be doing fair, it for only a couple years for me, but you know only a year before I met you, right? Really, so and I had a cushy teacher job where I was making all that that big teacher money. Yeah, that yeah that George Soros education oh, money. Yeah, man. I was, yeah. Just, I was raking I mean, it I, in I, just I, check I was, after I had check. Hard time figuring out which roles I was going to take to school every day. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then just and like well I can, I'll take the Bentley, <laughs> right. you know, let those kids see what they what they can achieve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, it. Um, well, what did you? What job did you leave to pursue music? First I was. Long? I was. So I worked for six years for the state of Ohio doing communications for the state park system, and then I worked for four more years doing communications for a trade association in Columbus, Ohio, and in the meantime. Um, you know, playing gigs in Columbus and going to open mics and developing my skills and my songwriting as a musician and, you know, letting my life fall apart and getting it back together and all those things that come along with, you know, the artistic inclinations that we have. And uh, I'd gotten to a point, I'm, you know, it's, it's interesting, Andrew talked about, you know, going out and meeting people. And probably about four years ago, uh, I was like, I got to get out of Columbus. I have to, I have to travel with a full-time job that makes it very difficult. You know, you have, your time is owned by someone else. So you can either take that, you know, week vacation with your wife or husband or whoever, or you can, you know, parcel that out and yeah, try to get yeah. out to Baltimore, you know, so you're, you're, you're trying to, economize your own time as it's monopolized by someone else. Um, and so my, my sort of starting point was, well, a lot of musicians come in through Columbus and I started making it a point for myself to get on shows. Cause a lot of times it was like, Hey, this person's coming through to play a Tuesday night. Do you want to open? And I, you know, I wasn't going to make any money. I knew that. But what the value is, is the relationships that you build. And I met yeah. Andrew um, at a place called The Tree Bar, which is still in Columbus. And we played a show together and we, we became buds and kind of kept in communication after that. Um, and, you know, Andrew's been somewhat of, I think, a mentor to me in terms of figuring out how to um, get out on the road and what to do and things like that. I feel yeah, so all my failings are your responsibility too. Uh, so that word mentor is going to change in a couple of years. So like sworn enemy. Right. Yeah, maybe. I, <laughs> I don't think so. We yeah, uh, but um, but so you know I I told talked to him. I said, look, I'm trying to figure out how to get on the road. I don't know how to do it. And he took me out with him and Andy Bop for like what four days or something. Yeah. Like like they had already set it up, and he was gracious enough to kind of let me bounce on and. They drove each other, they drove in a car and I drove separately and like we eventually landed at the same spot every day. Uh, 
And that gave me a good understanding of what, what it was like. So eventually I hit a point in my, uh, in my day job career where I was looking at the balance of time that I'm spending in an office eight hours a day versus the time that I want to be spending writing, performing, traveling. And I felt like I was in a place where I knew enough people, I knew the business well enough that I could make that transition. And so I left 10 years of office employment to play music full time. Um, and I'm a frugal person. I don't spend money on much. So I'd saved up a good amount of, of, of my income over the years to allow me some flexibility to travel, to make mistakes, to not rely as heavily on gig income as, as someone maybe who didn't have as much saved up. But as the course of the year has gone on, speaking to the economics of it, I'm looking at, okay, well, how much, how much am I making a month? And of that, am I making, am I, is the, are the expenses exceeding the costs? Like, am I spending $110 to play a gig for $80, you know, or, you know, are you losing money? Are you taking, you know, are am I making sure that the records I want to get made, get made? Um, and I've found that over the last year, it's been, um, you have to have a, you have to have a business side aspect to your, to your mind. And it's not necessarily like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to screw people to get money, but it's how do I make a sustainable living knowing that it's not going to be a nine to five where you get the paycheck at the end of two weeks. But, you know, can you weather January? Can you go through January where there are no gigs knowing that in June you're going to maybe have a gig, three gigs a week, every week? And that's, I think, some of the psychological aspects that come along with the economic shifting. instability. Yeah, yeah. Shifting from a salary where somebody gave you a check, every, not gave you, but you earned a check every two weeks. And then you, you know, yeah, monopolizing your time, but you know, you are, you, you were getting paid for that. So they, I mean, there was compensation for the fact that you were out there and that's the difference. Like there, um, I wanted to pull up. So for this tour, I kept a spreadsheet of all of our expenses and all of the income that we made. And, um, Grim mentioned that we had done a, a GoFundMe, which we just basically said, I estimated this is how many hotels we're going to need. This is we're driving three thousand miles. I think this is how much gas is going to cost. This is how many meals. Um, my first tour in nineteen ninety eight that I mentioned earlier was for four months, and we had budgeted ourselves three dollars for lunch and four dollars for dinner. So this was nineteen ninety eight, um, and there was no money for breakfast. Breakfast was on your own, and at the end of the summer, the four of us had two thousand dollars to split four ways. So at the end of four months, we each got five hundred bucks. And that was it. Like, and I still think of that as a complete success. But we were starving. I ate so much Taco Bell because you could get two bean burritos for 89 cents each, which meant that I would have like a little bit of leftover that I could add to lunch to dinner, and then we'd have dinner at Wendy's, and I'd have like four dollars and twelve cents for dinner. <laughs> um, so I wanted to do the economics of this tour, and I just pulled it up because I wanted to see. I haven't put in our expenses from the last couple of days, but just the income that we made, and this doesn't include CD um, income for Grim and I, and not including tonight, we made nineteen hundred dollars and sixty-nine. Wait, sorry, almost almost two thousand dollars, like forty bucks short of two thousand dollars. So that's two people earning for. Um, uh, uh, 13 gigs 13 yeah 13 gigs over 15 days so then that's your raw that's income, just your, income yeah. yeah 
So, um, and then our expenses, which ended up, I also track that, are just around two grand right now, but I also haven't included the last couple of days. So, this is the deal. We, I, we raised $3,100 too to offset that cost, which means that both of us having worked for two weeks can now come back and actually afford to pay mortgage, rent, um, electricity bills for the houses that we were not living in <laughs> for two weeks. And it's sort of like this idea, the thing that has changed the most for me, I think, um, over the last 20 years is that for the first 10 of it, you would make like a lot of money on CD sales because people would buy CDs at shows. You'd go play a show and then you'd probably sell like 100 and 150 bucks of CDs. But that has completely disappeared, absolutely disappeared. And we had this interesting experience at Joe's Addiction because we've been live streaming through Facebook all of the shows Grim and I did um, and also featuring, uh, we did some live streaming when Matt was there in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. um, at Joe's Addiction, they told us that a client there needed a tent. He's homeless, but he, they try to get people tents to sleep in. And so when the show started, I posted on Facebook that we needed somebody to private message me and if they wanted to send or donate a tent to Joe's Addiction, it would get to the client so that he would have some place to sleep in. Um, and a family friend mentioned that she couldn't understand why I didn't buy it. And so I am going to show her this stuff because I think it's important for people to realize like there's a reason why I didn't just go roll up and buy this tent for them because I think that there's somebody out there who might have a straight job that um, their finances are a little bit more regular than mine that could do it. And that proved to be true. Somebody did donate the tent, which was really awesome. Um, but I think that like when you, we, I'm guilty of this too. Like I think of somebody, who, it's all scale because we talked about this in one of our essays too. Like the idea that I don't know what the scale of a famous person's economics no or what their finances are like, but I can imagine it just scales up that even if you become famous, you have other people that you have to employ to continue to maintain the machine. So the idea of them making tons of money is not even true either. Mm -hmm. And I think that if that's sort of the point um, that you were talking about earlier is like yeah. the idea that are we doing this for money? Well, I mean, a little bit. Well, <laughs> but, a little but that's, bit of that, money. That word sustainable. Sustainable and success. Sustainable yeah, and of, success. Of, of money that allows you to do it. And that's the yeah. whole thing. When I was thinking about, you know, when I encouraged Matt to, to play full time, one of the one of the, my first follow-up questions after he said, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. I was like, okay, how are you doing money-wise? Yeah. yeah. Are you, you doing okay? Because, like, that's... You need that, to that save. Was a bit, that was a big save. contributing factor to, to making that decision. And, that's, and, that's the whole, and especially when you're, you know, when, when you're in a marriage and there's, you know, there's relationships involved and then money is... Not that your marriage is based on money, but... Is it? Like, but that no, is, it's not. That is, you know, one of the sources of... Of conflict in, in relationships, um, and especially if you know you're following, you're leaving a job and following your dream to become a musician, um, that also tends to be kind of a sticky widget. So it's like I wanted to say something to you about it. Like I was like, well, you know, how's that going? And and then you start. You're a good friend. That's a nice thing for doing. <laughs> Well, I didn't want to have, have it like, come back to me. Yes, you know? Matt, just get in the car. You don't need brakes. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fine, I swear. Well, it's seat belts, seat belts. It's interesting because when you when I remember when I worked full, you know, full time, it's like you have your day is at your office or your job. You might get some time in your lunch to go and like run to the bank or get your driver's license or like pick up a gift for somebody. Like that might be your lunchtime. And then in the evening, you're kind of doing other things, you know, spending time with your significant other, making dinner, eating or, or rehearsing. And so 
what I've learned over the last year is that uh, time is an asset. And for example, one of the things that I've I sort of discovered is I can become a really handy person when I don't want to pay somebody else to do it. Uh, our furnace like blew out, and I spent a whole day uh, trying to figure out what's going on. I called the, the HVAC people, and they're like, "Well, it's just it's seventy five dollars just for us to come look at it." And I went, "Oh God, I can't afford that right now. Like I can't." And so I, I did enough work because I had the time. I wasn't stuck in an office. I wasn't chained to a desk. I wasn't like I didn't have the hour at lunch to try to figure out what was going on. So I used that time to figure out how to, you know, what was wrong and ended up being a $15 fix. It was $15. I did it myself. I fixed the furnace. Um, but otherwise I would have paid the 75 bucks plus like an extra $20 for the part plus an extra $75 for them to put in. It would have been a $200 cost. But, but for me, that time that I had then was, you know, that, that outweighs the, um, you know, the income that what I would have made in that time, uh, becomes the time spent learning to do things for yourself. And finding shortcuts like where to eat, like, not, you know, eat it like you're saying, you eat at Taco Bell so you can save money for dinner, and then you short your dinner so you can have money for like gas. Like you figure out yes, but I want to how to out, do those things. I want to. I feel like there's this is something that is very important for me for the next year is that I'm trying to figure out how to make this ship continue to to sail without being so hungry. <laughs> Like without being so worried about it, because I feel like there, um, there's this interesting balance of like having done this now for 22 years where I've gotten some skill and I've, I learned how to play my instruments, how to write songs, how to perform. And it's not matching, um, what the friend on Facebook said, basically like, is she still playing for pennies? Well, there's no corporate ladder to climb in the arts. It's like you are here, then you're here, then you're back down, then you're here. It has a lot to do with uh, the fickle audience, you know? And so when you're talking about spending your time figuring out something, when you said that, I was like, man, I would have paid the 75 bucks because I want to have that time to like read a book, write a poem or <laughs> play music. And I also don't want to know anything about furnaces. <laughs> like I just, the idea of crowding my brain with that. I think that we have different engineering minds, you know, like there's stuff that I want to figure out and like I can understand Which, how. By the what's, way, I, I do have a furnace problem at my house, so I'm glad you're Well, here. yeah, yeah, I'll move the couch and I'll fix the furnace. This is why I'm here. But, but it's not, it's we not, we have to cut a usable skill. Too. But, but the thing is, it's not like, like, yeah, you, I don't disagree. Like it would, I actually had a gig that night. I had like a lot of things I needed and wanted to do that yeah. day. But the fact of the matter is, is you that the now, flexibility too. The, yeah, but, but the fact of the matter is like, it's a long-term thing. It's not just like it's a, sh a short-term fix would have been paying the seventy-five dollars and having someone else doing yeah. it. But the fact is, I own a home. I own a, I own a vehicle that is necessary for me to to get to places like this show. Yeah. And so it's like if I can learn to fix things mm -hmm. myself sure. in the long run, that's going to save costs that I'd otherwise have to pay a mechanic yeah. three hundred dollars to no, do twenty dollars worth of work. No, I don't disagree with you at all. That's basically a definition yeah. of when people ask me, they're just like, well, are you a musician? I'm like, nope, I'm a hustler. You give me like two weeks, I can figure out how to do anything. Well, not anything, but lots of things. Yeah. Like any instrument, uh, I'll, it won't be pretty, <laughs> <laughs> but I can play it. No, figuring out how to do stuff um, for yourself and having the luxury and time and flexibility to do it is a huge part of it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what this article that came out on um, after our gig on Sunday 
talked about the healing aspect of music and this was really important to me and I, I we talked about it briefly on the trip back on Thursday and Friday but it has really come like into my mind in a huge way this is my first long tour since this car I was in a car wreck five years ago that really disabled me for a while um and especially driving and it was I'm so excited to have the celebration with all of y'all tonight to play music and to like I survived 3,000 miles in a car with Andrew Grimm (laughs) (laughs) one bad day of Andrew Grimm there was one bad day. There was, was one. The last day, it was it? the last day. It was Shoot, like you had you had reached your limit. It's like I had forgotten how to drive completely. Like was there I, was there a lot of scowling and staring straight forward? Well, the the uh, the, uh, the uh, pinnacle, the apex of the of the problem was when we we pulled into a, a gas station and I tried to turn off the car without putting it in park, and and and, and Ellen Cherry leans up. She goes. Are you okay? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, man. I, I was like, why don't you let me drive well, for a while? I hadn't had any coffee yet. There was, was no coffee, yes. There was no coffee in the system. Yeah. So, but go ahead. Back to your story. No, just the idea of healing. Um, and that was one of the things that the author picked up on that I said that part of it is um, to be able to go out as musicians, the three of us, and to leave our home turf and to go across the country and to play for other people um, – you can feel like a tiny little bug just floating, you know, on these huge gusts of wind and that you're not making any noise or cutting through at all. But I feel like we had these shows, and I know that we felt that at Cleveland with you, is that there were people, there, like there's always at least five people that are really, really listening and come and talk to you afterwards. And that's healing for me to play that. But then to have that author recognize that that was the purpose of it. And the whole thrust of the article was, don't be afraid to gather. Don't be afraid to be in places together. It should be centered around storytelling, or not should be, but it can be centered around storytelling and music and camaraderie and sharing time. And it's not that you know digital devices can't be involved in it and make it special for people who aren't able to be here, but the idea is that it should be part of like a regular, your weekly diet, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was... I don't know. It was really the best tour I've ever been on. Yeah, and it, it's the idea of encouragement. Like we should be, we should be, if, if anything, we should be encouraging each other to to be creative or to to exercise our voices, uh, to 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 come together because the social media digital distance that we have now keeps us from each other. Like it, it's just I didn't want to Facebook Live this tonight. I lost that argument, which is fine. <laughs> I'm getting over it, but there's just supporters that live <clears throat> out of town sure. that I really wanted to see the performance tonight. So yeah, and yeah, I, I agreed, <laughs> um, and I'm okay with that stuff. I think that's fine. But I also feel like in my own hometown, it's and many people here are also performers and know people who are performers, and you you know how difficult it is to get people to to come out to the shows. And this isn't to guilt anybody or to shame anybody. It's just it's gotten progressively more difficult over the years, and it wasn't my my band June Star. We've been around since '98, and you know we sort of do okay, but not really. Like it's hard for we have to be on multi band bills because we can't bring enough people out to the clubs um, on our own merit. So we might get twenty people, thirty people. We try really, really hard. Um, and it's not because you're not good, and not because well, the music isn't good. TMD has played yeah. the last four or five records. In fact, they're even featuring you. Um, they are. 
Yes, April 27th, right? No, uh, May 11th. May 11th. Um, where is it going to be? At the studio. At the studio. Yeah, for at, our CD release. At TMD. Yeah. June Star is releasing, releasing another CD. Another, yes. The 15th. Another, the 15th record. Yeah. Um, but it's like... So even despite all that, to get people to go right. to downtown clubs or to come out... Or, or just to host it in a house concert type of venue. It's, yeah. it's like encouraging... I, I want to get back to that word encouragement because that's how I feel. I feel like when I play those shows... It's not about uh, you know self-aggrandizement or like yeah I'm a musician or I'm an artist and stuff like I mean that I, I that's like five percent of it or maybe three percent of it, but that's just the ego to get me to go out to do it. Um, it's it's about like when I when I talk to somebody who's who was listening and, and liked it and wanted to have a conversation uh, about music and not just because like if they t- ask me about it I don't want to talk about like my song I mean like oh that's really great oh cool yeah I really listen to it. what are you listening to you know that's I'm more interested in, in what you know the last five songs they played um, or if it's another musician if it's like you know hanging with Matt or hanging with Ellen Cherry it's like you know I want to talk about their songs I don't want to talk about my own songs because um, I'm also trying to learn something and, and trying to steal from them um, <laughs> Because it's the stealing is the best part. It is the best part. <laughs> um, but I feel I feel then encouraged when when you have a show and you play and it's only five people, ten people, or something like that. But everybody's in, together in, in, in that moment. Then I'm encouraged to to dig deeper in my own artistic vision or merits or or ambitions to write something different, deeper, better, or or just more expansive. And then I want to play. Uh, it makes me want to play more. Now, of course, I also believe that this is all a war of attrition, and I'm going to play just to spite people. Um, at the As same they slowly th- die away and drop off the yeah. surface of the you earth, know, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging around. You know, that's, that's my yeah. career model is a tontine. <laughs> I'm going to be the last one alive, and so I'm going to get the. I'm going to get yeah. those gigs, man. That's right. That's right, Moose. You know, that's my plan. I'm taking my vitamins. That's, yeah, working out. Doing the Elon Musk routine. Whoa. Cybernetic implants. That's the that's the future. So, it's it's now <laughs> okay. six. People are like, are you serious? We've yeah. been jabbering for forty yeah. minutes. Yeah. Thank you for sticking with us. Yep. Um, I want to move on to this was our first season. We um, Grim and I conceived this idea last year because we had planned a tour to go yeah. see my family in Texas in Thanksgiving of twenty sixteen, and even after both of us successfully booking shows for years. Yeah. We spent months, and we didn't even get no's. We got zero response. It was so depressing. So we decided to do these cyber tours for seven days where we did Facebook Live shows. And it was so much fun, and we had such a good time. We've toured almost every year at least once together for the last 14 years um, over our long friendship, which is uh, such a wonderful thing for me. And I hope for you, too. And I hope for you, Matt. Our friendship is really awesome for you. It is. (laughs) I actually watched those concerts in my office. Oh, Good. You? Yeah. And you were like, it was, the, hi- it was the highlight of my afternoon. I was like, are you guys uh, really in Cocoa time. Beach, Florida? They're like, no, we're in Andrew's basement. <laughs> yeah. So we decided this um, podcast last summer, um, had some drinks, came up with the topics, wrote the essays, did it over four months to encourage ourselves to continue booking because we did all the booking for the tour, the promoting of the tour. And this is what I was going to say about Wake Force, which was our last gig on Wednesday. Mm. That show was so heavily provo- promoted to the community. And I think we had six people there. Mm-hmm. But this was the most interesting thing that all the six people said. They are tired of going to Raleigh-Durham or to Charlotte to sh- see shows. They like it when stuff comes to them. Of course, who doesn't? But I thought... 
yes, tell next time, tell 10 of your friends, you know, mm-hmm. and they will, I think, because they saw us play. And that's sort of like proof of concept. You know, they see you play first and they're like, oh, she practices. She can write some songs, that kind of stuff. And then they want to return. Um, and I understand that wanting to get an invest return on investment of your time. But I thought that concept was great, too. Like you have the place like where we're talking right now, Four Hour Day Luthery, which is a wonderful space for lessons, building a guitar or a ukulele um, with Gabe and Tyler. Um, it's a beautiful space to listen to music. We're about to have a show for you guys and play music. It's donations, which means that it's sustainable for the artist because people, you know, anyone can come. If, even if you only have a few dollars, you can come and enjoy music. Or even if you don't, you just come and enjoy it anyway, and it will be covered, basically. Right. Um, where was I going with that? Mm. I was going somewhere. You were. I've lost the thread. Questions? Oh, yeah, we could ask some questions. Yes. Oh, I wanted to talk about season two. Oh, yes, season two. So we decided on this past tour that we were going to do another season of Why Aren't You Famous because, first of all, the poster looks awesome. (laughs) I don't want to use the poster again. Um, I want to thank Amanda Ray for designing our poster. Um, It was was so great to work with her. Um, Also, the first iteration, you looked so um, holy. It was like I was standing next to Jesus. (laughs) Well, that's the thing about the Messiah look. It comes back every spring. (laughs) <laughs> very soon in fact yep. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do for season 2 is um, instead of doing 24 episodes we thought we might make it a little bit more creative and the concept is not fully formed yet but the beginning of it is that we have these um, musician friends all around the country we know people out in Portland we know people in Ohio we know people in Alabama and the idea would be that the three of us um, Andrew Grimm, me and the other songwriter would pick a topic write about that topic over time share songs and then eventually we would plan a tour where um, the two of us would go and and actually be with that person, play the songs, play a show, interview them, and have them be a part of it too so that there would be... um, And maybe even collaborate with a visual artist that's in their community that they like to design a new cover or a little digital cover for each of those like mini sets of music. So the idea will be, again, getting out into um, the world and... I think we're probably going to be aiming for winter of 2019 for that tour. So like Christmas to January because you got a sweet teaching gig and got to work around that. So that's going to be season two. And if you have ideas for topics of songs you'd like to hear written about, I'm sure we could be open to that because Grimm only almost exclusively writes about love. So it's pretty sad. It's pretty, it's pretty boring. It's, it's not boring. It's good. Okay, yeah. So let's like have some questions for a yep. few minutes, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll play some music. And uh, the, there is a microphone up there for people to ask questions. Um, you won't be able to hear it because we don't have a PA, but it's for the recording. Yeah. So and you know, don't be bashful. Any any questions for Matt Monta? Uh, please ask. <laughs> AMA. He's in the hot seat. Any questions? <laughs> I can tell you anecdotes from the tour if nobody has a question. Lots of injuries. Tom has a question. Should I use the microphone? You oh, yes, should, yeah. If you want to. Or you can just yell it. You had mentioned that when you were early touring with your group. Yeah. Uh, how can I say this delicately? You uh, hmm. spent a lot of time shopping at the Taco Bell for the bean <laughs> burritos. Yes. Did that create any conflict with the group, and is that why you are mostly a solo artist? <laughs> Good question, Tom. You know, Good question. Personal boundaries. They are important. 
So that was my first. I had traveled with family before that, but to, that was a, that's a great question because um, we did play for another year together after that. So we survived the tour, but it really brought up a lot of conflicts because we were like crashing on the floor of people's houses or couches. We camped together. The four of us, like we spent literally three and a half to four months together, like I said, in a van with no air conditioning, um, traveling from place to place and being really, really hungry all the time. <laughs> and so like, I'm surprised that we didn't, um, break up like in the middle of the summer but we didn't I mean it was it was three really cool people we played again more um after that and um I don't know it seemed to work out yeah so I don't know if I answered that question but I forgot the question come on down anyhow so I would love it if you could share how we connected on tour with Ellen Cherry in Sheboygan Wisconsin because I think that is a great story of how you're out in the world, but then you meet somebody or it's a, a company potentially yeah. from a hometown we didn't even know about you, and then it led to all these great collaborations. And I think that's a good message for why it's so important to get out on the road. And good point. So Annie Howe is a paper cut artist here, based in Baltimore. You can find her at um, Be More Paper Cuts. What's your What's your website? Annie Howe Paper Cuts. Anyway, look well, her up. She's amazing. That's totally the point, actually. It is. It yeah. Is. What, a huge part what is of it. your What is your website, Annie? It's just AnnieHowPaperCuts.com. <laughs> um, so I met Annie because I was playing. I was on tour by myself in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Um, my dad's from Wisconsin, so I always tour out there and see my aunt who lives north of um, Milwaukee. And I just happened to be playing this little coffee shop, and. Our friend Molly Ross, who ran this company called Nana Projects, where um, Annie and Molly would create puppet shows. Um, they were magic lanterneers, and they did these cool puppet shows that were like large-scale, projected, illuminated um, animation and paper cut and storytelling, and they were doing a project out there at the Kohler Institute. And so I th did Molly see my poster or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah so Molly... Molly saw a flyer up in the coffee shop and like six of you guys were there. There was nobody at this gig. I was completely alone. And I walk in and there's like six people from Baltimore there. And so I gave Molly a copy of a CD that I had made called uh, Years. She listened to it and when we were back in Baltimore, she asked me to collaborate with her and Annie and another musician named Nick Showstrom and we wrote a score for a show called Alonzo's Lullaby, which won the Unima USA Citation of Excellence, which is like the frickin' Oscars of puppetry. <laughs> Woo! And it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been out, if all of us hadn't been out the road, if the troupe hadn't been out on the road, um, supported by the Kohler, Institute, I think it's called, and also people believing in puppet storytelling um, and visual arts. And if I hadn't had the gumption to get my butt in a car and drive out there um, and play that show. So, yeah, it connected us and it ended up being this very fruitful, over a decade long collaboration where we've done other shows together and have had lifelong friendships with just really, really cool people. Yeah. So, speaking of cool people, um, the, the, some of the shows that we had along the way where we met Matt in Cleveland. We didn't play with him in Columbus. Um, we met uh, Brian McQuaid in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Who else? Oh, Don Dupree in Dupe. Detroit. Yep. The Dupe. 
Um, we played, I don't know if you guys know um, Sweetwater, which is a gear company for musicians. And if you're a super gear nerd like we are, this is where all this stuff comes from. And we played their live lunch series and geeked out. And they showed us like the factory floor. And we got a personal tour with our sales engineers, mm-hmm. like we super got to see nerds. Warehouse. That was really exciting. <laughs> we got to see like one of three warehouses, yeah. which was really cool. <laughs> the hive. Um, we played with uh, Steve Dawson and Diane Christensen out in Chicago. We played for um, our friend's parents. We played with Chris Blevins in Tulsa, Joe's Addiction. Um, I got to connect with my Hendrix College um, roommates in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama, which is one of our first tours. We went to the Moonlight on the Mountain Cafe. um, And then we made new friends in Huntsville, Alabama. We played... There's Sugar Bell. Sugar Bell, yeah. Sugar Bell Cupcake Truck. Yes. Cupcake truck. It's really hard to say. Which, if you look on Facebook, there's a, a two different pictures of Grim eating two different cupcakes. Mm, which I've never seen somebody eat a cupcake with one bite. <laughs> I, I had no choice. It, it was it was destined to happen. It was amazing. Yes. Um, what else happened? Okay, so then I'm trying to think where we went after that. Uh, we were in uh, Waynesville after that. Waynesville, which was beautiful outdoor mm. concert. Then we played a pop-up shop at my friend's um, wine shop, the Assorted Table Wine Shop in Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. And then we finished up at the music, um, the Magnolia Cafe in um, Wake Forest. Wake Forest. But along the way, I got bit by a dog on the face. Um, not the dog's fault. I mean, technically the dog's fault, but it really, like, let's be honest, and I don't want to be too victim blamey, but my mm-hmm. face was really close to the dog's mouth at a wrong time. <laughs> and then the next day, I got a burst blood vessel in my eyeball for a week and a half, so I look like a zombie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> I I, de- I developed some sort of weird rash on my on my leg, so if you guys want to see that later, it costs extra. Yep, yep. <laughs> but there's a free download card with it, so it's going away. It's getting better. I put ointment on it. Good. Yep. So, um, that, so those were two good questions. Let's take one more question. If anybody has a question about like how we're doing this, why we're doing it, what's going to happen next, anything, anyone. Nope. Nope. Okay, so what else do you want to talk about before we say goodbye? Well, I th- I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty good. Um, I, new I, projects? We should talk about new projects. New projects. Well, I got my new project is uh, for June Star. It's called East on Green. Um, it's coming out April 27th, and then the, the show. The Explain album. the concept of the album. Uh, well, Please. The record takes place over the course of a 24-hour period. It's inspired by the people who live next door to me and across the street from me in Westminster. Uh, they used to fight a lot. Um, and so I would hear a lot of it. Um, so it's all, uh, it's all mostly fictional, um, of, of what was going on with my neighbors. Um, and then interspersed in between the songs are, uh, police scanners, uh, from a 24 hour period. And, and I wish it was Westminster, but it's not, it's a, it's another location because Westminster doesn't have public records of their police scanners, um, for, I don't know why, but, um, so, but it, it kind of tells two narratives: um, the narrative between the people who live on the street, and the narrative between the the, the police who interact with these people as well. Um, and uh, it's it's a good record. I really like it. It's got um, some new sounds. We have a, a violin, a, a fiddle player named Greta Thomas who's on it, and also uh, Katie Field is uh, singing on the on the record as well. Um, and uh, I think it's the best thing we've ever done. I think so too. Yay! Thank you. And y'all are invited May May 11th at at WTMD at the studios for your CD release party. Correct. It's going to be huge. 
I will know. I won't. I won't be able to be on Why Aren't You Famous anymore. I know, right? <laughs> yep. It's just gonna be like Ellen Cherry colon Why yep. Aren't You Famous? <laughs> yep. Tear. Here. Okay, Matt Monta, what have you got coming up? I know you have a CD coming up. I do. We have uh, my band, uh, The Haymakers, and I have a new album coming out uh, April 27th. So we're going to have competing album releases on uh, Friday, April 27th. Uh-huh. So you can either come to his show in Baltimore, or you can come out to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> 11th. What is it? April 27th. Well, no, I, my that was, comes out on the Yeah. Are you not doing you're not show. doing a show? Oh, well. Yeah. I, we, I guess so you can either time for everyone to go Yeah, to I guess so. Then never mind. We're not you're not going to have to choose. Uh it's it's an album called Restless Disposition. We recorded it at Sonic Lounge Studios in Grove City, Ohio with a uh, very talented producer and engineer named Joe Veers and um it's got 11 tracks. We've got a music video coming out soon. We have um, one of the songs out now called "I Won't Be Scared," and uh, you oh, can God, that's a good song. thanks. You can you can find you can listen to it on um, my website. It's mattmonta.com. Are you gonna play that one tonight? Yeah, I was thinking I might do that. Um, so you'll you'll hear that, and then um, yeah, we're so we're that's that's where my mind is is April twenty seventh, and uh, that album coming out then. And I think it's the best thing we've done so far. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Yay. Thanks. It feels good to say that, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I say it every time I make an omelet. It's like yeah. The best omelet I've ever made. Yeah. Amazing. Life can't get better. Yeah, it cannot. And then it does. Yeah, I know. What about you? Yeah, Ellen. What do you have coming up? What's going on? I am going to swim in Portland in July. 2.1 miles. And then I'm going to try to do a five-mile swim in November. And that's really all I can think about right now. I'm just kidding. Um, what am I doing? Are you actually swimming? I am actually doing. I'm doing two. Oh, open okay. Waters I thought that was. A, I didn't know if that nope, was a I'm joke. I'm going to do okay. two open waters this summer. We have a music stuff you're thinking about too. Yes, music. Um, I've joined a new project called the Color Light Theory with um, Roger Crafton, Richard Crafton, Roger, Richard Crafton, <laughs> and Tillman Benham, and it's um, an acoustic string band, vocal band of original music, and um, we'll be playing at my gig at Andy Music on May 5th. So I hope that you'll come by and hear a short set from this new group, and I'll play that beautiful piano. Um, and that, that CD will come out sometime in the summer. Um, and I have a project that I started a couple of years ago with Ben Frock that oh, I am yeah. committed to finishing because it was a reinterpretation of some songs from my 2008 album, Heart Like a Line, with a jazz band. So it's been lingering in digital purgatory for three years and i need to release it so i will try to get i'll try i'll get on it you guys <laughs> i'm gonna get on it that's good so yeah so thank you guys for being part of our first live recording of our podcast i hope it was interesting yep. it was interesting to me yeah. um thank you guys for being here Thanks. thank you thank you to the four hour day luthery for being here um we're gonna take a short break um Put away the recording gear, and we're going to set up for some music. Um, I'm not even sure how we're going to structure the show yet, but it's going to—we'll probably play for have music for about an hour and a half. Um, so get up, stretch your legs, um, hang out, um, and we'll—I we'll, guess we should say goodbye because we're recording this yes, now. Yes, we're going to say goodbye now. Yes. All right. Oh, and we have another podcast we have to record because we're supposed to do 24 episodes, and yeah. this is episode 23. So Grim and I are going to do an epilogue yeah. sometime when I get back from my gig this weekend. Yes. Yeah. So we'll make it happen. So, thanks for listening. Okay. Thank you very much, guys. Bye. See ya.